first of all, if this is your first time, good job coming to the eight. That's pretty impressive. But um, uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here. And just grateful um, that you decided to join us on this wonderful um, Easter day as we celebrate uh, the risen Jesus. And um, there's so much to talk about, so much to celebrate on a day like this. And quite often in these moments, it's actually like the sermons that I struggle with the most because I'm like, I just want to say so much, you know, and uh, and even with this past one, uh, or, or sorry, two years ago, I remember on Saturday, late, late Saturday night, I rewrote like my entire sermon, like in the Sunday morning. I didn't do that this year, but um, a couple weeks ago when I was trying to start like writing it down, uh, I was like, I sat at my computer and I was like, nothing. And then I was like, I'll just I'll come back tomorrow. And then it was like, nothing. And then it got to the point uh, about a week and a half ago where I was just like praying. I was like, God, just like work through my fingers, you know? And I was just like, put my fingers down and just like nothing, right? As if that was going to really work. Um, but, um, but Lacey and I were talking about it and, and, uh, and she said a couple of things that were like kind of got my brain going. And, um, and then she was telling me the story of uh, our youngest, uh, Ruby, who's uh, four years old and who has uh, a ton of personality and, um, and also kind of defiant, but we're working on that. But we're, she's, she like sings all the time and everything. And um, this past week she was coming out of the house and just... She has this loud, piercing voice, and, uh, and just as loud as she could possibly sing to our neighborhood, she just starts singing, this is the day, like, just like, and sing it, like, just as loud as could be, and uh, we were just, like, laughing about the story, but it, it reminded me uh, how we get jaded so easily, and we lose, like, this, um, this purity, this innocence, this um, acknowledgement and wonder that uh, this is the day the Lord has made and that we will rejoice and be glad in it. And, uh, and that happens, like, it, it, it happens, like, pretty early on. It's, it's easy to just be like, oh, us adults, right? Um, but it's happening younger and younger and younger. Uh, I was reading an article in The Atlantic this week. Uh, it's talking about how since 2009, every single year in teenagers, uh, hopelessness and sadness has continued to increase. Since 2009. Um, they have talked about, like, um, you know, suicide rates, um, uh, eating disorders, depression, anxiety um, have all like increased over uh, this time. Uh, even for teenagers that are playing on teams, like they don't experience uh, teams the same way that kids used to um, back in the day because uh, of their phones. Like they don't experience the same kind of community on a team uh, primarily as uh, they used to. And, and you hear all this stuff and it's bad. It's like interesting because it's just like kind of juxtaposition to all of it. All of the behaviors of teens have gotten better. And here's what I mean by that. Um, there's like less drug use, less drinking, uh, uh, less premarital sex, um, uh, less bullying, less racism. Like there, there's all these things that like on one end it feels like that it's getting better, but yet on the other end, you realize it's actually getting way, way worse uh, for our teenagers, and you begin to see that. And, and it's not just for teens. Uh, three years before uh, COVID, the life expectancy, which uh, they measure life expectancy to just see how healthy a grouping of people actually are. Um, but the life expectancy in our country actually went down for three straight years um, prior to COVID. All right, and so, so it's, it's this moment where uh, essentially what the world has to offer is screaming out, it doesn't work. And, and we're trying to like, like figure out like, it's a man, like people are like searching and searching and searching and searching and searching. And it's like, it doesn't work. It's like the hobby, the, your job, uh, whatever you're investing your time in, it's like, man, you remove God from it, it doesn't work. 
in every statistic and every ounce of research that we see that's happening around us. And it's like, and we can blame things, right? We can be like, well, it's the, it's the stupid phones. And it's a, is that a thing? Maybe. Um, is it the, you know, is there a common thread through some of this being the internet? Actually, yes. Like, that is a thing, right? It's like, even from parenting, this is a freebie. It has nothing to do with Easter. Um, but like this, like, think about this. Like, as parents, right? Like, every ounce of research says that, like, social media and the internet is, like, crushing our kids, and, they, and we're just like, here, here are no boundaries with your phones, right? And so they're going to be so mad, like, a couple of decades from now. They're, they're going to look at us as grandparents and be like, why did you do that, right? And so it's important to, be, to understand that what the world is offering, it doesn't work. And so on a day like Easter, you know, um, most people know the story of Easter. Most people understand why we're here. Most people, even if they don't go to church, they, they kind of get it. They get it thematically, especially in our country, because of what is celebrated and how prevalent, you know, Jesus is in it. But it's not just the what, it's actually the why, right? It's, it's why does this become so important? Why does this reshape our perspective? Why, why does the hope of Jesus begin to speak into um, some of the, the pandemic stuff, some of the death and suffering, some of the anxiety, some of the depression, some of, some of these things that really grip us, even the things that we celebrate and are in a really good spot. Like, how does this, and why does the reality of Jesus speak into it? So if you have something in your life that's going really well, that you really love, if you don't have Jesus in it, guess what? It's not as full as it should be. And so this why becomes like so significant, this why, this whole Easter thing in this death and resurrection, that's really what um, matters in this season. So when I started reading through the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I was just kind of reading through uh, all the stories of it in the Bible, um, and there are a few different places the Bible talks about it. Um, but I came across this one verse in Matthew 26, um, verse 30, it says this, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And, and I was thinking about the, the singing piece. You see, when Matthew writes this, so if you're not familiar with uh, your Bible, um, the Bible's broken up in an Old New Testament, and the hinge point is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and uh, there's this point in the story, they're not live blogging this, okay? So when Matthew actually writes this, um, he's, he's writing it looking back at what happened, and he's describing this story. And when I saw this, I was like, why is that verse in there? Like, why does it matter that, like, he, that they were singing? Like, why is that detail actually uh, important? And so they had just had the Last Supper meal, and um, as it was customary during the Passover celebration, they would, ha- they would sing a psalm to kind of end everything. So Jesus, on his way, if you don't know the story, they're going up to Mount of Olives because Jesus is on his way to be betrayed and eventually die soon after that. And, and so there's this whole kind of premise, and Matthew's writing this, and he describes that they still sang this, the, the customary hymn that would have been at the end of the meal. And the, the customary hymn at the end of the meal would have been Psalm 118. I won't read the whole psalm to you, but I want you to see what it said, because I just thought, wow, this is so cool. Psalm 118 says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And like, but he's about to die, but they're, but they're singing this. It says, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Look at this. I will not die, but live. And will proclaim what the Lord has done. So they're singing this on the way to his death. And I love this last part. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This is Ruby. That's where it comes from, that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
And that very thing that Ruby sang this past week was the same thing that the disciples were singing when Jesus was actually going on his way to die. So there's this why, like how does that become the perspective they have and what becomes the shift and and why did they sing in the midst of it? And why is singing such a huge deal to what we do? I know for some of us when it comes to singing, um, we might be a little reticent to do some stuff, right? You might see some people raising their hands or, or clapping, and, and uh, you might, that might not be you yet. That's okay. That's all right. Um, you might not even, like, figure out, you're like, ah, I don't know I can sing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's, like, I, I can't really sing really well. And, and listen, I, no one really can. Like, if you can, they're up on stage, <laughs> right? So, so, like, there's this reality of, like, like we sing together, and, and something beautiful begins to happen. There's something about this singing, but when it comes to like this idea of the, the resurrected Jesus, here's one thought that I had, that the hope of a resurrected Jesus allows us to sing through our seasons. And so when I was thinking about uh, our community and the stories that I know of people um, in our community, um, the stories that are shared, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever, um, I just started thinking like, man, there's something about the disciples singing on the way to Jesus dying and, and this idea of like, man, this is all linked in together to, to the hope of his resurrection. That there's something about the way of God's people has always been related back to like singing through the season that you're in. And there's a why to that. I'm going to talk about the why it's, it's, it's good to sing through our seasons. And it's not just in bad times. It's in good times, too, to celebrate uh, really well. But this hope of the resurrected Jesus allows us to do it. Can you imagine if, um, how many of you guys have been through a rough season some point over the last few years? Yeah, which is probably most people in the room. Can you imagine if in those moments there was something inside of you that allowed you to sing through it? I'm not talking about dance through it or ignore it or just like gloss over hard, hard feelings. No, you feel those things and you lament and grieve those things. But can you imagine if in the midst of this there was something that allowed you to just like sing through that pain? and sing through that suffering, and sing through that season. And the reality is, and this is like the why of the resurrected Jesus, is like nothing else allows us to sing through our seasons. It doesn't. Like, I don't care who the artist is that has that song that you love, and it's cool that you love that song. I don't care how many songs Taylor Swift writes, it's not going to give us the hope of Jesus, right? Like, it just, it won't work. And you might be attached to something that like an artist sings, but man, if it doesn't have the hope of Jesus attached to it, it's a fleeting thing. But man, the hope of a resurrected Jesus, it changes everything. It changes, it leaves nothing the same. And so we begin to start seeing our seasons uh, very uh, differently. But of course, the human condition comes in, and I love the way the Bible talks about it, because the the human condition, or, or the, the biblical phrase might say sin, but there's this human condition, the reality of evil and corruption that happens in our world. And uh, we see this flow even throughout Scripture that, that God offers this grace and then uh, humanity decides, uh, oh, that sounds good and I, I want to engage that. Um, but then just because sin and corruption and evil, the human condition, what ends up happening is we turn away from God. And in those moments, we experience great pain and, and great suffering and, and things start happening in our lives and, and our perspective gets a little off, but then God's still there and he offers us, uh, offers us grace and to come along. And then we see this all throughout the story of the Bible from start to finish. And in the midst of all this, God keeps entering in, he keeps entering in, he keeps entering in to try and get his people to see there's something different for you to see in all of this. 
There's something to hold on to that's so different. Stop looking at all this other stuff. If you would just orient yourself towards me, I'm telling you, some things will become really clear. And so this story keeps happening, keeps happening. And what ends up interesting about it to me is like uh, the story of the book of Exodus, for instance. Um, God's people are enslaved by this awful ruler named Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and uh, God frees the people. And so some of you guys might have heard this story before where, where he ends up parting the sea, right? And God's people go through it. And, um, and then it comes crashing down on the enemies, and his people are saved, and they're freed, and they start celebrating the realities that God saves, and God redeems, and God uh, frees his people. And what's interesting about that is the way that they celebrate, it says in Exodus 15 that they stop and began to sing, to sing some, like a psalm to God. And they had this song. And this song, the song of Moses, became a frequent um, thing that was sung by uh, Jewish people growing up. And this idea of even in the psalms, are, are this, it's gripping, right? You have psalms of celebration. Uh, you've got um, songs of lament. You've got psalms that are deep kind of cries of oppressive people. You've got psalms that are celebrating with those that are actually in a really great spot. But there's the book of psalms, about 150 of them in the Bible, and they're meant to be sung, and they're meant to see that there's something about this singing and an understanding this attachment to the reality and the hope of who uh, God is. Fast forward on to Jesus being up on the cross, and we've talked about this um, for several weeks, and I want it ingrained in our heads because I, I think it's such a beautiful thing to see that when Jesus was up on the cross, there's this point, uh, he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some scholars actually believe he was singing this hymn. They didn't have chapter and verses like we do now in the Bible, and so when someone would want you to get clued into a psalm to sing, they would quote a line from it. And so Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's about uh, Psalm 22, which that whole entire psalm is about how God delivers, how God saves, and you can trust in the Lord. And so even in this moment of deep um, pain and suffering, everything, there's something in the soul of who Jesus is. And Lacey talked about this on Friday night, that, that what came out of him was a praise. What came out of him was a reality of saying, I'm going to sing this song that you can trust. Sing this song because I know who God is, that he saves and he delivers. There's a big why. It's a big understanding. It totally reshapes how we begin to view pain and suffering in our life. And again, and even in celebration. Fast forward a little bit further and the church begins to start and um, the church has great persecution. Uh, not everyone was cool with this whole Jesus thing. You can imagine that. And uh, it started flipping the empire upside down in every city that it was in and, and things started to dramatically change. And, and in this one scene, two of the kind of pillars of the, the, the early Christian faith, early Christian church, were these guys named Paul and Silas. And then they're in prison in the book of Acts and it talks about how they got imprisoned by these people, and they started singing. They started singing. They're, they're, they've gotten beaten. They've gotten, um, they're, they're, they're staring down death in reality, but their, their reaction was in the midst of that to sing. There was something in them, and as they began to sing, what the Bible describes is that the ground began to shake in this crazy way, and that the prison doors were, were open, and that the guards, like seeing this miracle happen before them, actually bowed down and like began to ask, what can I do to be saved? Because there was just something so powerful about this singing because of the why that was inside of him. It was like my hope was in Jesus. Their hope was in Jesus. Quick little funny story about that. I was telling this story years ago. Um, we were doing college ministry at the time and I had just preached on this story and Lacey, um, as she always does when I preach, she just loves it. 
And so she, no, I'm just kidding. But she, she like takes in like, and so she starts praying and, and we're about to sing in response. And, and she's like starting to like, just like take it in. Like what if we started singing in a way and the ground began to shake? Like, is that possible? And so we start singing this song and all of a sudden the ground next to us starts going like, and she's singing. She's like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, just like in her soul. But then she like opens up her eye. just had me one of the students that was a little bit bigger and he was jumping up and down. But anyway... <laughs> But there's just like this reality of, of there's something powerful when we begin to sing, even at the end of the Bible, and you read like what happens at the, at the end. It's like there's going to be this element for eternity, not all the time. We're not going to be singing all of eternity. But in eternity, there's an element of singing to glory to God. Now, why? Because nothing else can offer what Jesus does. Literally, nothing else can offer it. And so there's something that begins to stir in us that is so great, that is so powerful of what Jesus is and who Jesus is in our life. There's something about singing together when it's real that creates this kind of bond that's unbelievable. Um, I wanted to give you a little list of what singing can actually do for us. The singing builds trust. The more you begin to sing something out, you begin to believe it, you begin to understand, like, um, Man, these words that I'm singing to who God is, it's trusting in who God is. There's something that begins to stir inside of us. That singing unites people. There's, this wouldn't have, I mean, think about, like, look around the room. You don't know a lot of the people in this room. You'd have no reason uh, to be together other than, like, there's something about the gathering of God's people that it's like, whoa, hold on a second. There's a uniting element that starts happening in our singing. The singing empties us out, um, Maybe you've been through a tough season and you feel like, you, go, you can almost feel it in the season. It's like when you're kind of giving yourself in, into this, this, this hope, this reality of Jesus, you feel like this emptying out of yourself. And singing is like, ah, man, there's something here that's happening. Uh, singing uh, unites, I'm sorry, um, singing is an act of celebration. Um, and then singing is about who God is, not you singing, right? That's the whole point. Like if you're sitting there off the side going, <laughs> Like, it's not about that. It doesn't matter. It's about the reality of what's coming out of you. Even if what's coming out of you is just a little bit, even it's like, man, I, I haven't really gotten engaged like I want to in this. And if it's just a little bit, that's okay. It's like there's something that's supposed to come out of us. Why? Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has actually done in our lives. When you begin to think about like singing and what we're singing, it's like, man, these words are powerful. They're, they're proclaiming a reality about who Jesus is that doesn't like pick a hobby that you have. You can't proclaim this reality. Work. Like, if you love to work, you can't proclaim the reality that we're going to sing today about work. You, you can't do it. it. It doesn't offer the same thing that we begin to see in Jesus. When I was thinking about singing in general, um, there's this old hymn, uh, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Have you guys ever heard that? You know, it's, it was written in 1905. And um, so one of my favorite songs is... Um, I love old, not old gospel, it's kind of old. Um, I, like, I love, like, Kirk Franklin gospel music and, like, that era. I have, like, a huge, like, emotional attachment to that era of gospel music. And he has this song, A Reason Why We Sing. And there's this line in the song uh, is that his eyes on the sparrow, you're the reason why I sing. And, um, and so I was thinking about that song, we were talking about it, and, uh, and I was, like, just 
I'm like, why is that, why is that like just burned into my brain? And that line about the sparrow is, is from something that Jesus actually taught in Matthew 6. Um, telling people like, hey, you're so worried, you're so anxious, you're so um, concerned with what is happening in the world, but like, why? Like, don't you know that his eye is on the sparrow? Like, there's, there, there's this reality of, of who God is in the midst of all of this. And I love to, like, learn about, like, songs and learn about why things are the way they are. And so this song was actually written in 1905 by this woman named Sevilla Martin. And what ended up happening, why she wrote the song, was uh, her and her husband were visiting the Doolittles, their, um, their friend that they had. And um, they're visiting them. And uh, Mr. Doolittle was uh, in a wheelchair, uh, had this crippling, painful disease um, that was life-threatening. And, uh, uh, but they had this incredible joy. I had this incredible joy. And, uh, and everyone in the community loved the Doolittles. And they just couldn't get enough of them. They were so generous, so kind, so, like so loving to everyone around them in the midst of great pain and great suffering year after year. And so um, Sevilla Martin, her husband, uh, turns to, to um, Mrs. Doolittle and, and just simply says this, why are you guys this way? How, like, How? You go through so much, like, why are you this way? And her eyes just lit up and got really big and just looked and said to him, well, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And so immediately she hears this and starts, like, penning this song that became this incredible hymn, you know, written 117 years ago. And, and here's what's cool about singing the song and about the why, what happens when it, it unites, because... What ends up happening within this is there's this powerful kind of theme to that hymn where it talks about, you know, Jesus' eye, or his eyes on the sparrow, and he's watching us no matter what we're going through. But here's the beauty of this. That hymn, uh, fast forward into the 1950s um, and 60s, this hymn becomes one of the more powerful hymns sung throughout all the black church. Um, throughout the civil rights era. Um, it was frequently, it was one of the most common um, songs that, was, that were sung in the church. And, uh, and so I started like seeing like, man, this became a powerful, powerful song in the midst of, of like the civil rights era and fighting for freedom, fighting against oppression, fighting for something, that there was something in this that they were proclaiming, proclaiming the reality of a risen Jesus and there's something uniting that was happening. And so I actually, you guys, you can come up. So this, I started like reading over and started hearing and started seeing it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 man, this is crazy. What happens when you understand the why of what you're singing, the reality of what Jesus does, that it unites people. The beauty of this song is, um, one, it became a rallying cry for the oppressed, for those suffering in injustice. Two, it brought together um, different races of people. Three, it brought together generations of people coming in. And so sometimes we gloss over the reality of a song and the power of what is at the depth of it. But I want you guys to hear um, what it sounds like after you know the story behind it. Why should I fear 
discouraged and why should the shadow come and why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion I had to make sure my mic was off when they were singing, so I didn't want to. 
But you know, it, it takes on a different meaning. Like when you hear like, whoa, people have been singing that like in times of injustice. You know, people have been singing that in times of great pain. People have been singing that in times of um, without their rights. People have been singing that in times of um, in great like physical pain and ailments. And it's like, well, well why? Because the hope of Jesus, the, the reality of being freed from something, the reality of a, a deep meaning to the, the truth of who uh, Jesus is and what you've been freed from. One of the things I was thinking about this week is it's hard to sing about being freed when we haven't considered the reality of it actually being true. You see, the thing about Easter is we gather in here and it's wonderful, like, you don't have to manufacture energy on Easter, right? Like, there's, there's something so beautiful uh, about it. But here's what's just also, like, just fascinating about Easter. It's like we sing these songs, and it's like, do you, do you actually know you've been freed? You, like, for real, been freed from the realities of sin, from, freed from the realities of just, like, what can weigh you down, freed to have a true life-giving perspective, freed to know like why you were put on this earth. Freed to just understand that, whoa, hold on a second, that the God of all creation loves me this much. You know, I've been at um, a decent amount of funerals and, and had to have, you know, preside over several. And, you know, you realize in the moment at a funeral that all the other stuff that we concentrate on doesn't actually matter. It just doesn't. Like no one sing, you know, they'll sing songs like that at a funeral, they don't sing like working nine to five. You know, they don't, they don't sing that, or that might be a little too old for some of you guys. How about work, 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 work? Like they don't sing that either, right? <laughs> so that's not like a, a reality of, of what happens at a funeral. And so what calls into question is, what is my life really about? You see, at the end of the day, that's what Easter is like presenting before us. What's, why do I do this? Like, what's my life really about? What does the hope of Jesus, you know, actually um, bring into play here? And so here's some things about the resurrection that I think are incredibly powerful about what we identify with and what begins to change everything. See, we don't identify with the mockers, meaning um, I could just put like, we don't identify with people on Facebook who comment. We don't identify with news that we see around us, the people that are just so angry and so negative and so slanderous. Like we, we, don't, like we don't identify with that. We identify with the kindness of the risen Jesus. We don't identify with foolishness. We identify with the wisdom of the risen Jesus. We don't identify with shame. We identify with the grace of the risen Jesus. We don't identify with bitterness. We identify with the forgiveness of the risen Jesus. We don't identify with the politics of this empire. We identify with the kingdom of the risen Jesus. We don't identify with defeat. We identify with the victory of the risen Jesus. We don't identify with sin or evil. We identify with the hope, the truth, the justice, the light of the risen Jesus. That's why Easter matters. Laura, you can come up. That's why Easter matters. Um, that's why we can respond differently. That's why we can see this world differently. That's why we can sing 
things so significantly different. That's why we can, you know, hear a song like those guys singing, and it, it, does, it grips us so differently because the reality of the risen Jesus. So part of your story might have been walking in here today of just feeling like you're in the lowest of lows, and it's like, ah, but we have the risen Jesus. Some of you might have come in here today and you might have been more in the kind of consumeristic Christian route where it's just kind of playing in and out of this and it's like, well, hold on a second. Maybe today's the day you've got to figure out what you've been freed from and actually understand that so you can really identify with the reason Jesus. Some of you might have come in here very skeptical. You're just here because you have to be. You still have to answer what your life is about. And what you put your life and your time and your heart into, does it actually even matter? See, through the risen Jesus, it automatically does. It's the only thing that you can say that, that about. It changes everything. We're going to sing two more songs together, and, and, and one's actually based off of Psalm 23, and, and, uh, and then the other one's just a big celebration song we'll sing at the end about our thankfulness and our gratitude to God. But in Psalm 23, I just want you to hear it. I'm going to read it to you. Because here, it's this story of, of King David. He writes this psalm. And, and he writes it from a, a place where he's in a position of power and authority. But he, he writes this psalm of understanding. It's like, what do I do with my anxiety? What do I do with things feel like they're closing in? What do I do with like the pressures of this world? What do I do with all of these things and the realities of I see, what I see before me? He says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, meaning it's just like you've been called into something greater. Because of those things, his cup overflows. There's something inside of us. It just overflows because of the reality of who God is. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, meaning that's what we get to experience when our eyes and our hearts and our mind are oriented on the right things. All the days of my life. And then one day, one day, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I ask you guys to just bow your heads and give you a second to process here. So God, um, we all have to answer the question, why? The heart of who we are, the, what we stake our life on, is it, is it going to be something else besides you? The reality of what we celebrate in the hope of Easter is that it doesn't make life perfect, it doesn't make us perfect, it doesn't... Um, necessarily even tie things up in a nice, neat bow, but what it does do, it establishes our why. 
It gives us hope. It speaks into our times of suffering and pain and great sorrow into death. It, It speaks into cultural injustice. Systems of repression. It speaks into times of celebration and great happiness and joy. Nothing else can. And so we have to determine whether or not we want to follow our own way or trust that you're going to lead us on a path of righteousness as we follow you, our shepherd. Therein lies the question for our Easter. Who will we follow? Will you stand and sing this last song?